This is my first time to Disney World. I've never been. I asked my dad why he never took me and my sisters, and he said, because you were rotten children and you didn't deserve it. And you know what? He was right. Giants just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? Living the dream. I'm going to Disney World. W Radio. Your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 53 for the week of February 10th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and I want to thank you for tuning in again this week as we celebrate the one-year anniversary of the WDW Radio Show. Although I've been podcasting since 2005, this past week marked the first anniversary of the show, and I want to take a moment to thank all of you for your support and for listening over the past year. It's been an incredible, amazing journey, and I believe that things will continue to only get bigger and better in 2008 and beyond. And in fact, I've got to tell you that I am more excited about this week's show than I may ever have been, in large part due to my very special guest. Joining me this week in an exclusive interview is Samantha Brown, host of a number of popular series on the Travel Channel, including a number of specials about Walt Disney World. She has explored some of the finest resorts on property, as well as the incredible experiences that guests can enjoy during one of the most magical of seasons. My conversation with Samantha will talk about her work on the Disney Parks and Resorts specials, including the most recent holidays at Walt Disney World, and she reveals what's next for her and the Travel Channel as she continues to entertain us with her travels to and exploration of the Disney resorts. Being a longtime fan of her work, this interview was not only fun and exciting to do, but one that I think you're really going to enjoy. In this week's Walt Disney World news, we'll cover some of the latest news, including announcing the Star Wars weekend's dates for 2008, and I reveal the new, live, interactive, and high-energy attraction that's coming to Disney's Hollywood Studios. Let's just say that if you ever wanted to be a star and were looking for your big break, here's your chance. The Walt Disney World rumor mill this week has a number of big stories, including an Epcot pavilion possibly losing a sponsor, a rumored new attraction based on a Disney film that just might surprise you, and a very big, semi-confirmed rumor about not just demolition, but more importantly, new construction at one of Walt Disney World's resorts. This one could be big, so stay tuned. With the recent reopening of the attraction, I'll also have a full review of the updated Playhouse Disney Live on Stage show over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, courtesy of a listener. And speaking of new things coming to Walt Disney World, I'll also speak with another listener who gives a first-hand, detailed review of Disney's Magical Connection, the handheld device currently being tested in the Magic Kingdom. You can learn not only about what the device does and how it works, but hear from a guest just what they think of the device and the technology. And as part of the anniversary show, I'm going to announce the new project I've been working on and alluding to for some time now. It's going to be released very soon, and I wanted to give you the first glimpse at what I have planned It's something I'm really excited about, and again, something I hope that you're going to enjoy. I'm not going to have any time for your emails this week because we have a packed show, but as always, stay tuned at the end of the show where I play a number of your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show.
This week's Walt Disney World news is going to start off with something not from the theme parks, but from Disney.com directly, where they have announced the launch of the first ever Dreams Come True online sweepstakes in partnership with the Disney parks. The sweepstakes, which is going to celebrate the year of a million dreams, is giving Disney fans the opportunity to win one of five magical vacations. The grand prize is a trip to the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, including one night in the heart of the park in the all-new Disneyland Dream Suite, which was created based on designs originally made for Walt Disney himself. Fans can enter once per day every day in February, and each daily entry is also given an additional chance to win. Each entry also instantly wins a limited edition digital prize, such as a Mickey Mouse bobblehead, a Disney princess snow globe, a Hannah Montana clock, or a vintage Disney character calendar. Remember, these are digital downloads for your computer. These aren't actual physical prizes that will get mailed to you. Now, throughout the month of February, fans are encouraged to collect the entire set of digital prizes by visiting Disney.com slash dreams and entering the Dreams Come True sweepstakes. From listener Pat Disney Dame, who just came back from Walt Disney World, she wanted to let me know that the signage around the resort is slowly changing from the Disney MGM Studios to Disney's Hollywood Studios. And Jessica from the If We Can Dream It blog also let me know that signage around the resort on the roadways is being changed. Now, we talked about this before, that the signage was one of the big major complaints that guests have. From what I understand, the, the names are being changed to Disney's Hollywood Studios. There are no changes in colors or any references to hotels, so it's not clear right now whether that may change in the future. Pat also wanted to let me know about some other quick notes on construction walls that she saw over at the Magic Kingdom. The area near the fry cart in Frontierland is still blocked off with work going on backstage there, and the Liberty Bell is also having some minor work done. Captain Mike over at the Yacht Club Marina wanted to let me know that Effective Immediately, Breathless 2 returns to being available for reservations on a daily basis beginning February 10th, 2008. To book Breathless or any of the other watercraft that you can take from the Yacht and Beach Club Marina, you can call 407-WDW-PLAY. I've talked about Breathless and the new Breathless 2 in the past. I think one it's, it's one of Walt Disney World's truly overlooked and very, very special experiences. So if you haven't done it before, by all means, check it out. The official dates for the popular Star Wars weekends have been announced and are going to run throughout June of this year. During this special event, you can choose your destiny and journey to a galaxy far, far away as you come face-to-face with your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains, test your knowledge of Star Wars trivia, or of course take flight in Star Tours, the ultimate Star Wars adventure, during Star Wars weekends over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The dates are June 6th through the 8th, 13th through the 15th, 20th through 22nd, and June 27th through 29th. Disney announced its latest theme park edition at a ceremony last Wednesday, and slated to debut this summer in Epcot Center's Interventions Complex is Stormstruck, a tale of two homes, which is going to aim to teach visitors the importance of home safety in a fun, interactive way. Leslie Chapman Henderson, president and CEO of the nonprofit Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, said, It's going to save lives and homes by combining fun with education. This attraction is going to allow visitors to discover what it would feel like to experience severe weather such as a hurricane. And after the quote-unquote storm, Stormstruck is going to teach guests about weather-related science and cutting-edge technology used to protect homes from disasters, featuring an exercise in rebuilding an actual home. The sponsor said they hope that this attraction is going to make a very important difference in people's lives. I, for one, am very curious to see exactly what this interactive attraction is going to be like. And speaking of upcoming attractions, there is a great article this week about the upcoming Toy Story Mania attraction on the New York Times website. 
It includes never-before-seen construction photos, the Mr. Potato Head interactive figure, and a wonderful time-lapse video of the construction of the interior of the, of the attraction. It's a very long, detailed article that reveals some of the new details we've never heard of before. I'm going to link to it in this week's show notes. I definitely recommend you go and check that out. And in the confirmed rumor file for this week, American Idol is coming to Walt Disney World. As Walt Disney Parks and Resorts announced this week that they will create an American Idol attraction that's going to bring the television and pop culture phenomenon to life at Walt Disney Resort in Florida. I talked about this some time ago in the Walt Disney World rumor mill about an attraction like this coming to the studios, possibly in the Superstar Television building. Now it looks like that rumor has come true. This attraction is set to debut in late 2008 and yes, will be in the old Superstar Television building. It's going to follow the same model as the live high-energy show on TV. But here, Disney guests are going to be able to experience the challenge of auditioning, the rush of actually performing on stage in competition, or the thrill of judging the performances in a live, interactive entertainment setting with all the glitz and the glamour and the fun of the American Idol show. The experience is going to include an audition process open to all who register, where guests can actually go up and perform live in front of a Disney's Hollywood Studios producer to be cast in the show. After preparing backstage, where you work with a vocal coach, hair and makeup, it's lights, showtime, and you go out and perform in front of a live audience and a panel of judges. Guest performers with the highest votes are going to compete in the end-of-day grand finale show at Walt Disney World, and the winner of the grand finale show will receive a guaranteed reservation for a future regional stadium audition to ensure no waiting in long lines. So the way I read that is, although you may not get any preference, you will get an actual front-of-the-line pass, almost a fast pass, to a real American Idol audition in whatever region you might live in. So when you see on American Idol, there's thousands of people lined up in some of these stadiums, you will actually get a, a, a sort of a golden fast pass to the front of that line where you can actually compete for an appearance on the show. The coming uh, attraction is going to join the just-opened Playhouse Disney Live on stage, which we're going to review this week, plus other coming attractions like Block Party Bash and Toy Story Mania as these new attractions that are coming to the studios in 2008. I think bringing in something like American Idol like this just goes to prove and is indicative of the direction of the studios away from just showcasing the movies but other entertainment genres as well. To discuss any of these news articles or items, and if you have anything that you want to share, you can go over to the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, discuss them there, or send in your own comments to Lou at WDWRadio.com. This week's visit to the Walt Disney World rumor mill is filled with lots of fun and very interesting items. And the first one is that according to a rumor that I heard from one of my sources, Nestle may be dropping its sponsorship of the Land Pavilion in Epcot's Future World. This pavilion was originally sponsored by Kraft before being taken over by Nestle in November of 1992. And it's unclear at this time, assuming that this rumor is true, whether Nestle will continue its sponsorship elsewhere in the parks, including the Plaza Ice Cream Store on Main Street, USA. Obviously, this is a rumor I will watch very, very closely and, of course, report anything else I hear as it comes out. Fans of the recent Super Bowl 42 saw not only my New York Giants win in amazing fashion in what was obviously the greatest Super Bowl ever, 
coupled with the most amazing play in sports history. Forgive my little editorial comment there. But you also saw two notable commercials if you're a Disney fan. The first was MVP Eli Manning's I'm Going to Walt Disney World commercial, which I'll put in this week's show notes. But you may have also caught a glimpse of the new WALL-E commercial by Disney promoting the upcoming movie. The film, which has a robot as its title character, is going to be released on June 27th, 2008, and is being directed by Andrew Stanton, whose previous film Finding Nemo won the Academy Award for Best Animated Features. Now, according to another one of my sources, Disney Parks is eager to promote WALL-E upon its release in keeping with their recent synergistic ties between films and the theme parks. My little bluebird told me that Disney is planning some sort of attraction to launch on day one of the movie's release, much the way Beauty and the Beast Live on Stage opened the same day as the theatrical release. Now, the only details I currently have is that it's film-based, and that filming was taking place at either Lake Havasau or Lake Mead right after the new year. So while I wouldn't look for something on the same scale as an attraction like Soren, it likely will be something more than just a simple parade or character greeting area. In Epcot's World Showcase over in Germany, listeners have reported to me that the miniature train town and railway is not only closed at the present time, but many of its set pieces and tracks have been removed. I called the pavilion and actually spoke with a cast member who advised that the village is going to be replaced, but she would or could not speculate on what was going to be replaced with or if it was simply a replacement of the track and village buildings itself. Next, I have to report this as rumor because it was not confirmed by Disney, but based on the documents that I've seen, this is a done deal and something I think is very exciting. You've heard me talk about the old treehouse villas in the past in response to some emails as well as in the rumor mill, and I've also written a few articles about them for my DisneyWorldTrivia.com site. But I now have solid information that the treehouse villas will not only be taken down, but will be rebuilt for future use. The 60 units that make up the Treehouse Villas Resort area, which is located on Treehouse Lane, right off Disney Vacation Club Way between Saratoga Springs and Old Key West, it also kind of lies along the river between Port Orleans and Downtown Disney, is going to be completely dismantled and removed and also going to be replaced with new structures that are going to have a smaller footprint than the current buildings, thereby addressing some of those issues with the current floodplains and wetlands that we talked about in the past. Now, as far as what's going to be put there in its place, the area of the buildings at ground level are going to go from 340 square feet to just over 84 square feet, although the actual structures appear to be similar in size based on the blueprints that I've seen. No modifications are proposed for the roadway, pool, or clubhouse areas, and it's also unclear as to whether these are going to be hopefully available for guest use or continued use by cast members and college program cast. I'm going to put a link over to the South Florida Water Management District. We can actually take a look at some of the filings yourself. Obviously, we're going to look for an official announcement for Disney uh, sometime in the near future. I will obviously stay on top of this rumor and try and find out as many details as I can as soon as possible and report on them here. Of course, if you hear any rumors that you want to talk about on the show, send them over to Lou at WDWRadio.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 206 202 for WDW and discuss any of these rumors over at the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com.
After a brief refurbishment, one of the most popular shows at Disney's Hollywood Studios opened late last week for soft previews. Now, you may never have seen it before, but if you have young children, chances are you've seen, or soon will see, the Playhouse Disney live on stage show. Since this went through some relatively major changes and is one of Disney's most popular properties, I thought we'd take a quick look at some of the changes and get a brief review of the show. This was sent in by listener Pat, who's Disney Dame 2004 on the forums, who caught one of the soft opening shows on Wednesday, January 30th. Now, I'm going to have to half-jokingly warn you that this may contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the new show and are afraid that the review might ruin it for you, you may want to skip ahead just a few minutes. Pat's review starts off by looking at the theater itself, and she says, The stage isn't really much different. There is still a large book that serves as the backdrop, and the seating is still on the floor. So if you are going there with your kids, you're going to have to either stand in the back or sit on the floor. There are no benches, there are no seats at all, although if you are in an ECV or wheelchair, you can bring that inside. Bear in the Big Blue House is gone, and instead Mickey and his friends from the very popular Mickey Mouse Clubhouse are the framing characters. The new human host or hostess is Casey, and uh, in, in Pat's case, it was a very uh, happy, cheerful, perky blonde who played that role. Obviously, Casey can either be a boy or a girl, man or woman, uh, using that same name, just as it was done in the past show, it was Jamie. Now, the show, she says, has the same structure as the old one. The opening characters have some problems, and the human host suggests that they might find the answers by looking at some stories. That's the setup, and lets them have some short segments with Handy Manny, the Little Einsteins, and my friends Tigger and Pooh. And of course, all the characters are puppets except our good friend Casey, of course. So, here's the actual show itself. The pre-show in the queue is hosted by the monkeys Ooh and Ah, who introduce some short song segments from Playhouse Disney, including the Doodle Bops, Imagination Movers, Bunny Town, and others, and they also encourage the kids that they'll be inside seeing the show and meeting their new best friend, Casey, very soon. Once you're inside, Casey comes out, sings the Playhouse Disney theme song, and asks the kids to shout out their names. She thinks she heard someone call out Mickey Mouse, and of course, Mickey magically appears. He invites everybody into the clubhouse, which appears with the magic words, and if you have kids, you know this by heart, Miska, Muska, Mickey Mouse. Cue the Mickey Mouse Club theme song, and now the rest of Mickey's gang appears during the roll call. The story goes that it's Minnie's birthday, and Mickey and the gang want to throw her a surprise party. Donald is signed to writing her a birthday song, Daisy has to hang the happy birthday banner, and Goofy has to bake the cake. The friends, of course, express a little bit of doubt of actually being able to do their jobs, and Casey suggests that they might find the answers by reading some of the stories. They call for Tootles and his Mouska tools, which are, of course, items that'll play into the stories to come ahead. The first story is with Handy Manny, who's trying to fix a bubble machine for Donald's song. As in any good Disney story, things go horribly awry, but thanks to the help of the audience, everything ends up working out in the end. The kids get sprayed with bubbles from the ceiling, and of course, Donald realizes a very important lesson before moving on to the second story, which is The Little Einstein, in a story called The Great Sky Race, where Rocket is in a race against the big jet, and the team needs to help Rocket fly super fast. Of course, everybody in the audience is invited to help cheer Rocket on, make him fly faster, and a lesson learned is that Goofy realizes he can actually bake a cake if he has the good friends to help cheer him on, of course. The third story is My Friends Tigger and Pooh. In this story, Rue's kite is stuck in a tree, and everybody has to work together in order to get it down. Now the banner's hung, the cake is made, Minnie returns in time for everybody to yell surprise, 
Donald and the gang sing the birthday song and confetti streamers are launched from the ceiling. So that's basically the show in a nutshell. Pat felt that the the puppets were very, very good representations of the cartoon characters, although she didn't feel the little Einsteins really translated to fabric quite as well for the others, although the ones from Handy Manny she felt were exceptional. Obviously, the storyline is a little tough for some grown-ups to swallow, but that's not really the point. It's about the lessons learned for the kids uh, based on what the stories tell them. Of course, the show is packed with all the kids' favorite songs from the different TV shows, so that she felt all the kids of many different ages really got into it, getting up, singing, and dancing along. Even some of those kids who were, seemed to be a little hot and tired and cranky at the beginning really, uh, really got a lot out of it and really seemed to enjoy it. So the only concern that she had was that the puppets, especially the little Einsteins, were short. So someone who may be sitting very close to the stage, who you know might be my height, might not be able to see the action that's further back on stage. She, what she did do, though, was mention it to one of the many um, cast members and Imagineers that were there in the room watching the performance. They did say they would look into the sight lines and they appreciated the feedback. So that's something that maybe they'll be able to fix in the future. So Pat did attach a few photos from the show to her email. What I'll do is I'll post those up in the show notes for this week. Remember, the show runs about 20 minutes long. What you need to do is when you get to Disney's Hollywood Studios, go by the guest information board at the Hollywood Junction for showtimes or pick up a times guide uh, so you can see exactly when the show runs throughout the day. If you have young kids, I think they'll really enjoy this show. And along those same lines, if they're big fans of the Playhouse Disney characters, I get this question all the time, where can maybe people meet some of the characters other than just Playhouse Disney and some of the meet and greets? Don't forget, over at Hollywood and Vine, they now have Play and Dine with the Little Einsteins, where you can see Leo and June and some of the other characters. I've taken my kids to this. It's one of the best character meals, especially if they're into the Playhouse Disney characters. Do that in conjunction with Playhouse Disney Live on stage. Your kids will be golden for the rest of the day. So I want to thank Pat very much for sending in this review. Like I said, I'll put some photos up in the show notes this week. And for more information, you can, of course, visit the official DisneyWorld.com website. It's the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse! I've spoken recently about Disney's proposed use of handheld technology in the parks, from the testing of interactive games to rumored uses of technology that would allow guests to create their virtual fast passes and things like that. But recently, I reported about Disney's testing of some applications of this technology in Walt Disney World with the use of Nintendo DS handheld devices. Called Disney's Magical Connection, random guests are currently being selected to test some interesting uses of this technology in the parks. But rather than my speculate about the technology and the devices and the practical uses inside the theme parks, I wanted to bring on someone who actually tested the device firsthand. I will call her Minnie to preserve her anonymity at her request and welcome her to the show. Minnie, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you very much, Liv. It's great to have you here, and uh, I appreciate you contacting me and telling me about your uh, being selected to use the device. Um, let, let, and let's start off there, maybe. How were you actually selected? You know, how were you approached to um, to start testing this out? Well, um, we actually approached the cast member. Um, we walked through the, the turnstiles, and I'd read online that they were going to be testing this potentially, and so I was kind of on the lookout as we walked through the gate to see if there was anything unusual in the area, um, because I wanted to be selected. I thought it'd be fun to test it. 
to see what it could really do. And um, there were, I don't know, eight or ten maybe cast members kind of standing around with clipboards. Um, you could tell they were sort of scanning. I guess they were looking for a certain kind of family. I don't know. And uh, said good morning to a couple of them. They kind of said good morning, and that was about it. And so I finally walked up to one and said, you know, excuse me, are you, are you taking volunteers for whatever you're doing? And she said, absolutely. And so uh, <clears throat> kind of self-selected myself <laughs> and, and our family. And this was, this was obviously in the Magic Kingdom, correct? Yes, yes, Magic Kingdom. Okay. So they say yes, you know, we're accepting volunteers and then what do they what do they do then? What do they give you as far as a device and what kind of instructions did they give you? Um, well after we said um, you know, she said that she was taking volunteers, she confirmed that we were not cast members, um, and then gave us a little kind of a sheet to read that sort of had bullet points on it, had a little picture of, of the D S device. Um, talked about how we would need to put uh, a credit card down for a deposit so that if the device wasn't returned, that they could charge us $299. And were we okay with that? And we said that was no problem. We would return it. And um, she had a sign, uh, walked us into Town Square Exposition Hall. um, And they had a little table set up where we signed um, an agreement with our credit card number on it. They didn't imprint the card. They just had us write the number um, on the form. And then at the end of the day, they actually gave us back that form, so they didn't even keep record, you know, of our credit card number. They just said, "Here, you can shred this or scrapbook it or whatever you want," which I thought was really nice. Um, and then we had to sign a form that said, you know, that we were going to have access to a Disney trade secret, and that it was not for, you know, general public consumption. And which is sort of why I asked to not have my name used. Um, and then we were given the device with a uh, couple instructions because. We'd never used a DS before in our family, and it was very easy to pick up, and we were sort of sent on our way. Now, did they actually show you how to use the device, or did they give you... Uh, I've seen copies of the instructions, and we'll kind of talk about those a little bit, but did they also give you a little bit of sort of training on it first? They did. They spent um, The gentleman spent probably 10 minutes with us um, going through each of the options um, on what the DS can do, the different um, things that I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, as well as in answering any questions, making sure that we felt comfortable kind of going off with this, knowing that we had never used one before. I'm sure probably for families that had used them before, they probably did less instruction, but for our family, we, we weren't familiar with it. So they spent like, probably 10 minutes with us. It was it was very, um, very thorough. I mean, we felt fully equipped. We didn't really need to look at the instruction sheet after that. Now, did you have any children with you or? No, just two adults. Okay. All right, so tell us now, you, you walk away and you have the device in your hands and you turn it on. Tell me what you see and, and how do you actually start using it in the parks? Well, it's um, automatically on and he, uh, the, the cast member who told us how to use it actually pointed out where the on-off switch was and said, you know, don't turn it off um, and had showed the, the casing. The, the DS itself um, unit is actually sort of encased in this sort of foamy stuff and I don't know if that's um, to protect whatever cartridge was in it or to keep us from turning it off partly. And then it was, uh, attached to that was also sort of a strap you could wear around your neck so it was easy to kind of keep track of throughout the day. And that helped keep us from turning it off too. And so as soon as you open it up, you flip it up um, on the touch screen part, which is the lower part of the DS. Um, it has sort of an interactive map, um, shows you your current location with a little red circle. So the, the DS is a little smart device that knows right where you are in the park. Um, and then on the top of it was sort of the, the overview of the map um, of the whole park. So you could kind of see where you were in relation to 
the rest of the park. So if you use some of the functionality um, to say, you know, I'm on Main Street, but I want to go to Peter Pan's flight, um, and then on the top map it would kind of do a little dotted line to show you the best route to get there. So the top the top part of the DS has sort of an overall view of the entire park, and the bottom mm-hmm. half has a much right. more zoomed-in view of where exactly you are in relation to that exactly. big map. Okay. Yes, that's it exactly. <laughs> and you could obviously touch on the, the bottom part of the screen to sort of move around, and it would give you directions as where to go. What all the kind of things would it, would it point out to you as you, as you use the bottom screen? Um, the bottom screen had four actually really five options um, sort of positioned at the top of the screen, the bottom of the screen, the the left and the right, and then in the upper left corner there was sort of the the information option. Um, And so depending what you wanted to do would be which option you'd pick. And you could do um, the, let's see, I think it was a little star, let you choose um, from different rides in the park, and then the little Mickey head was characters, so you could see what characters are meeting and greeting. Um, and what times, not so much location, we had some issues with that, um, but at least to see what times, in theory, some characters were greeting. Um, the top one was your wish list, so as you went through the ride, sorry, as you went through the rides and attractions, um, you could check mark, yes, these are the ones I want to do today, and it would put all that into a wish list for you, which then later on would suggest the best order in which to do these things, um, which the cast member told us that the order was based on really your location, not so much wait times or the most efficient use, but really just what was closest to you. Um, and we found that had some bugs in it too. Um, and then the other option was um, games to play, games and trivia, um, as you're kind of just waiting in line um, at the park. So it had several different options and things to do. Okay, so let's kind of take each of these four main sections one at a time. The first one that you made reference to was the wish list. And according to the instructions, it says all of your Magic Kingdom park offerings, Disney characters, and shows will appear here. Uh, you can There was a number of icons on the side. You can add additional names to your party there. And it will make recommendations on what to visit next based on your wish list. So what would you do? You'd basically go through the map, and as you saw an attraction... You could click an icon and add it to this wish list and it would kind of keep this running tally of attractions that you wanted to go see. Right. And then from that wish list, when you went to that, you could sort that either by um, attraction name or by current wait times. So if you're interested in seeing what had the shortest wait time right now, um, it would sort that for you, which we found to be very helpful. That was uh, that was nice <laughs> to know exactly what everything in the park's current wait time was. Hmm. Um, as well as if you have characters, it'll tell you which characters are nearby. Um, based on where that is in your wish list, based on where you are in the park. Okay, and one of the other icons was park offerings. It says, choose your park offering and let the Disney Magic Connection guide you down the best path to reach your destination. Use your stylus to tap the icons for more information. Now, it looks like the icons show park offerings, shows, dining, guest services, the path to the park offering, and a sort of a, a scroll up and down. So this kind of gave you a list of all the different things in the park, and this from from here... You could add it to your wish list. That's it, exactly. And um, for the park offerings, um, was basically a list of everything, whether it was a show, whether it was um, like the parades or the fireworks. Um, the dining, if you clicked on that, it would kind of give you um, breakdown by land of what restaurants were in the area. And if you clicked on a specific restaurant, it would tell you the types of food. Um, it didn't have a specific menu or specific prices, but it was more just, you know, Pinocchio's Village House. You can come and get pizza and and chicken strips here, kind of basic, real basic information. 
Um, but if you were a first-time visitor and you didn't know what each restaurant had, I think that would be pretty helpful. Well, that was what my next question to you was. We should probably establish now, are you somebody that's been to the parks, you know, one time, five times, a hundred times? Are you, can, you know, are you a regular visitor to the parks? We are regular visitors. We are fortunate to live um, not immediately near Disney World, but within a couple of hours of the parks. And so we make it up there a couple times a month, um, so now, usually for a day. Considering you go so often, you're obviously very familiar with the lay of the land. Did you still find the device right. helpful, like these park offerings and the wish list? Do you find it helpful? Um, I don't know so much the wish list. Uh, I think if they got some of the character situations worked out a little bit, and it was a little vague for us for the characters, that would be very helpful for me because that's something that, that that's not a fixed location. That's different every time and different times uh, every time you go to the park. So if you're on a, an autograph hunt, which I often am, um, that would be something I would find very useful even as someone who visits the parks uh, regularly, definitely. And then knowing the wait times is something you can't you can't get no matter how often you go to the park. So that was extremely helpful. We, we missed it the next time that we went to the park, actually not having that current wait time or the current fast pass time, both of which when you're on the ride screen and you click a specific ride, it will tell you the current wait time is 20 minutes, fast pass return time is between 6 p.m. and, you know, 6.15 p.m., uh, which is great. Or if it's out of fast passes, and it would tell you no fast passes available. That sounds like it's really where this, this device is going to shine and not having you make yeah. make you run back and forth to park. So you could be in Fantasyland, click on Space Mountain, know that when the fast passes is, know what the standby queue is. Absolutely, and we did that very frequently uh, during the day. I think we, we actually rode more the day that we got to use this device than we had in any of our previous, uh, I think, 10 visits, just because we could tell, oh, hey, right now, Space Mountain's a 10-minute wait. Let's run over there as opposed to going to Pirates, which has a 45-minute wait. So you found it to not only be... So not only was it accurate, but it really did help cut down on your wait times throughout the park. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was was our favorite part of it, um, along with the games. We actually really enjoyed the games, too. All right, well, before we get to the games, one of the other icons is character shows and parades. It tells you where you can find the characters appearing in the Magic Kingdom Park. Now, what did that do? Did that have, like, an alphabetical list of all the characters, or was it broken down by location? Um, It was an alphabetical list of characters appearing in the park that day, and then you could click on a character, so say Minnie Mouse, and it would tell you Minnie is appearing between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., but it wouldn't tell you where she was appearing. And so if it was during that time, you could um, click the little icon. It looked like a little uh, looked like a little guy who was hiking. And so you could click him, and it would, that's where the, it would take you back to that main map where on the top of the, the screen, then a little dotted line would appear from your current location to the current location of that character. Um, what we found, though, is that if we followed the little dotted line and went to there, there was no character. And so we'd go back to the character screen and click it, and it would show, oh, the character's moved over to this area. So we'd walk over there and there's still no character. Um, and so I think they've got some bugs to work out in terms of the characters. Okay. And finally... That would be a neat feature if you get it working. I'm sure. I'm sure, especially if you're looking for a specific character, you no longer have to go to ask a cast member or sort of guess on a map where you can find him or her. Uh, but the final... And knowing too... I can say knowing too what times that character is appearing. There were some in the list that literally were out. I mean, the window was like an hour during the day, say, um, I don't even remember which character it was, but there was a character uh, 
I think one of the stepsisters from Cinderella was listed. And it said, you know, she was reading from 9 to 10 a.m. Didn't know where, but you knew she was going to be out at some point during the day. And so I thought that was nice, too. So you're basically using the device not only to help plan the rest of your day, but you're also using it for, you know, immediate gratification, which is, okay, where do we go right now? What's the best ride to hit right now based on the wait times? Absolutely. Um, And we really found using the wish list um, in terms of accuracy was a little hit or miss um, to try to plan the day. Uh, We were coming off of Big Thunder Mountain and looked at the wish list and said, okay, where does it tell us to go next? And it said, Pirates had a five-minute wait and um, Mickey Still Har Magic had a five-minute wait. And it was telling us, go to Mickey Still Har Magic next, even though Pirates is clearly much closer kind of to where you are coming off of Big Thunder. So maybe being an experienced veteran of the parks, I was kind of like, well, I'd rather go to Pirates first and say it's closer and they both have the same wait time. Gotcha. And finally, there's the games and trivia icon that has... um I guess icons that pop up based on where you are in the parks. Is that how it works based on, you know, if you're in the Space Mountain queue, you'll have access to Space Mountain, or are these games available the whole time? Um, when you first get the, when we were first given the DS, um, the only game that was available was a game called Fantasyland Trivia, which has trivia questions based on the age that you put in um, when you first started. So you could put child, teen, or adult when you first, when we were first given the, the the device, and so the adult questions were, some of them were actually pretty tricky, and we had a lot of fun with that, my husband and I. And then the other games, um, there's a Jungle Cruise, uh, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, and Winnie the Pooh, um, would unlock when you went into the queue line for waiting for that ride, or actually we found that if you were somewhat in the vicinity of the ride, it would unlock, you didn't have to be in the ride itself. And then once the game is unlocked, it was available for the rest of the day. It didn't lock again once you left the queue which made it nice to be able to play later on. And what kind of, tell us about some of the games, the Jungle Cruise game, the Space Mountain game. Um, are they action games? Are they question and answer type games? Well, the, the trivia game um, was a, is a question and answer game, but it's, uh, we played it uh, with two people. You can set the number of players, I guess between one and four, we always just played it with two. And so it would say, um, you know, Mickey, ask Minnie a question, and then it would give the question with four answers. And um, typically my husband wouldn't give me the option of, of the four answers. So we kind of made it a little bit harder for each other when we were playing the game. Um, the Jungle Cruise game is, is definitely a two-player game. You're not even really given an option. Um, you turn the, the DS device kind of sideways. And so one of you plays using the, the arrows uh, on one side of the machine and using the bottom screen. And the other person plays using the uh, like A, B, C, D keys, and then the top screen. So you're actually racing boats against each other through the jungle, but each of you has a different view, the top screen and the bottom screen, um, so that you can kind of see where your boat is and ram the other guy into the, the whirlpool or the emerging hippo so that you can try to, to beat the person. We actually had a lot of fun competing with that. We just sat down and got some dole whips and played that game for about an hour because uh, they were having fun competing against each other. That was actually my next question. Did you find that you were playing the games to pass the time in the queue, or were you actually sitting either during a meal or, or while taking a break and playing the games? Um, both. The The Big Thunder ride, we play, uh, the game we actually played in the queue. It was about a 20-minute queue. So um, the Big Thunder game um, is sort of hard to explain, but it can go on for a very long time um, as you're passing the, the DS back and forth. 
and we played that both in the queue and then we would, uh, the nice thing is you can just shut the, the DS and get on the ride and when you get off and open the DS, it'll pick right back up where you left off so it doesn't end the game. Um, so I thought that was kind of nice and then we would sit and finish the game when we got off the queue. Um, we found ourselves playing while we were uh, eating lunch and then again, kind of at the end of the day, we, we had just unlocked a Jungle Cruise game and sat and played that for about an hour, um, just kind of end the day that way. Hmm. It was a lot of fun. It was a good way to kill the time, definitely. And we had a lot of people around us um, kind of watching us going, wow, that's kind of neat. Where'd you get that? So I think, um, you know, if this eventually rolls out in the park as a rental or something that you can purchase, it'll be, be pretty popular, just based on the feedback we were getting from people around us watching us play with it. Right. And you had it with you the whole day, the, the whole time you were in the park? We did. And the, the, what about the battery? We got it. The, the battery lasted, no problem? Um, we got it. Let's see, we probably got it right after we got in the gate, so probably 9.30 in the morning, and we turned it in, I guess, about 4.30. Um, a little red light had come on on the DS, but it was still functioning fine. So I don't know, because I'm not familiar with the DS, I don't know if that meant that it was a low battery. Um, so it may have been running out of battery, but it functioned all the way through. Uh, the time that we use it, and we use it pretty extensively. So I would think for a normal use, it's going to last, if not all day, most of the day. Right. And 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 other than that, the small little glitches with the times of the characters, things like that, it seemed to work, you know, pretty well right out of the box, even in the testing phase. Oh, absolutely. We didn't. We we were actually trying to, um, you know, find find errors on it. We uh, had run into someone who was doing a survey as we were coming off Carousel of Progress, and she had asked us how we liked the DS and said, you know, if you find any errors, we want to know about them, you know, do whatever you need to do to, you know, to really test this for us because we really want to know how we can improve it. So we were, you know, kind of purposely, we'd walk by a ride and go, okay, check the, check the wait time. Is it accurate? And it was accurate um, pretty much every time. Um, you know, watch, okay, let's see if we can tell it to go from point A to point B. Can it, is it giving us the right path to get there? Is it really telling us where the closest restrooms are? Um, and pretty much every time it worked, there was one time we tried to get from point A to point B and it, it tried to take us right through the middle of a, of a show that was going on, which then they had the route blocked off, which was kind of funny. But really, other than that, just little things, little tweaks that they need to make. Um, it really worked very well. We were very, very pleased. And, there, and even as regulars would very much consider purchasing a DS to be able to use something like this. All right, well, you, you're leading me to where I was going to go to kind of wrap, wrap this up <laughs> with, which is one... Who do you think the device is made for? Is it made for the the frequent visitor? Is it made for the first time visitor? And you obviously love the device. What do you think that you would pay to either buy the cartridge or to rent the device in the parks? What's that, you know, sort of cutoff figure for you um, to, to, to buy or rent it? Well, I think it's probably aimed at both the, the first time visitor with the wish list and trying to make recommendations of where to go. Um, kind of how to get there, as well as someone who's been there, you know, a hundred times, given that you can can see those those wait times and the fast pass times. So it's kind of something for everybody, depending on, on how you want to use it. Um, for me personally, because I do visit so often, um, to purchase, I would definitely go out and purchase a DS at whatever their going rate is currently. And, I, you know, I'd be willing to pay, um, you know, probably whatever a current cartridge would go for. I don't know that I'd be willing to pay too much more than that. Um, and I don't know how much those go, maybe 50 bucks. I don't really honestly know how much DS cartridges go for. Um, to rent it, um, I don't know that we would use it every time just because we are there so much, and that could get expensive very quickly. 
But I think if we were there with friends or family who weren't there as often and we wanted to really maximize the experience, we would probably be willing to pay 20 or $30 to rent the unit for the day. Wow. Um, so you were, you, I mean, but, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it every weekend. Right, right. But you were that impressed that you would spend, you know, upwards of almost $30 to rent it for the day, which I'm not saying is good or bad. I just think that, I think that speaks volume for, for how impressed you were with the device. Having, having those current wait times and the fast pass times for us uh, was really the, the jewel of, of the device. Um, and that's something that you, you really can't pay for, you can't get currently in any way, shape or form. And so to have that that knowledge right at your fingertips, and and that it's accurate knowledge, um, is just really unbelievable. And that for us is was what would would drive us to rent it potentially, or, or definitely to purchase it if that were an option. Hmm. All right. Now that being said, is there anything that maybe you'd like to see added to the vice? Any any sort of information that you'd like to see them add, or functionality that you'd like to see included? Well, I think. You know, what my husband and I were talking about as we were, were playing with the device that day was it would be great if we, you know, clicked on Space Mountain and saw that Fast Pass was, was returning time between, you know, 6 and 6.15. If there was a way to be able to say, okay, get a Fast Pass, even though we weren't there, get a virtual Fast Pass um, somehow. I think that would be a natural extension of what it can do currently. We're, we're on the other side of the park, but we can say get a Fast Pass. And, and, maybe, and, and maybe somehow they can tie it into where we can't get another one it somehow knows who we are and we couldn't put our tickets in to get another one so to cheat the system as it were you can only still have one fast pass at a time whether it's a paper fast pass or a virtual fast pass i don't know how they do it um but i think that would be a really neat extension again to really save time as you're trying to go through to maximize the amount of rides or experiences you're able to get in a day okay so that would be great wishful thinking possibly but that would be great <laughs> But overall, it sounds like you, you were very, very impressed with the device. It sounds like it has pretty much all the functionality that they hoped it would have. It sounds like it's easy to use, whether it be for adults uh, or for kids. And it really runs the broad demographic as to who it's aimed for. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the impression that I'm getting is you think that this is, is definitely a home run where they were they to roll this out. Absolutely. Um even for someone who'd never, like I said, had never used a DS before, we were able to pick it up with, with 10 minutes of tutoring. And, and honestly, they probably could have handed it to us with the instruction sheet, and we would have been able to pick it up just as quickly. Having that personal interaction, at least for the trial, made it very nice for us. And uh, we'd do it again in a heartbeat if we had the chance. I'm glad we you know, kind of took the chance to walk up and ask. And you figure anybody that has a, you know, a seven-year-old kid will certainly be able to just pick up the device and, oh. and start start right up with it, so... Yeah, there's no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Excellent. I'm looking forward to hopefully having a chance to test this myself. Um, I'm really happy, Minnie, that you contacted me and were willing to come on and talk about it because you've answered a lot of my questions. I think a lot of questions other people had about just what exactly this does and what people think about it. So, uh, again, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you you coming on and um, sharing all this great information with us about the, the Disney's Magical Connection DS device. Well, thanks for, for inviting me. I appreciate the, the chance to talk about it. We, we had a great experience, and so I'm glad to be able to share that you know, with others who might be interested to know. Great. Thank you. Feeling in the mood for something a bit 
on the wild side and journey with me to the edge of civilization to an African wilderness lodge where exotic animals roam 30 feet from your balcony. It's not out of Africa, it's outside of Orlando at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, next on Great Hotels. For fans of destinations like Walt Disney World, one of the most difficult parts of enjoying the resort so much is not being able to visit as much as you might like, as real-world obstacles like work and school get in the way all too often. But fortunately, there are ways that guests can get that Disney fix at home, and one of the very best ways is thanks to the Travel Channel and their series of specials about Walt Disney World. They serve to not only introduce viewers to some of Disney's premier resorts, holiday happenings, and hidden treasures, but let you experience some of that Disney magic with your family right from the comfort of your own living room. And for my next guest, her job is to visit destinations not just like Walt Disney World, but locations throughout the United States, Europe, and Latin America. With what can only be described as the greatest job in the world, it is my pleasure to welcome Samantha Brown from the Travel Channel to the WDW Radio Show. Samantha, Thank you well, very much. It's a, quite an intro. Thank you. <laughs> well, I have to admit that I am really excited to have you on the show because you might not realize just how popular you and your specials are to Disney fans around the world. You know, even when repeats of some of the older great hotel shows come up, you know, a buzz begins in the online community. Really? And it's really a, it's a wonderful thing for me to experience. Obviously, we were just shooting in Disney World and Disneyland uh, last week. Uh, as early as last week. And when you're out, I've been, like you said, traveling abroad for three years, and now I'm walking down Main Street, USA, and to have literally hordes of people surround you and say they love your shows, and uh, you know I'm here because of you, and I'm going to this Disney resort because you sent me there. It's just, it's over, it's really overwhelming. But uh, so it really is wonderful to actually talk to the people you get to reach through these specials. You are a superstar in the Disney community, and I am not over-exaggerating <laughs> when I say that. So. <laughs> wow, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, before we talk about some of your work on the Walt Disney World specials, can you tell us a little bit about your background in travel, whether it be writing, etc.? Yeah, yeah, actually, my, my background in travel is uh, a little differently than people perceive it to be. I was a musical theater major at Syracuse University, went to New York City to pursue uh, my passion, and just fell into the job of hosting for the Travel Channel. I thought it was just going to be a, a little summer job, nothing more, because host, you know, hosted shows weren't that popular, and now they've exploded, um, and everything's a hosted show, and I was just lucky to get in on it before um, the really talented people showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just very, very lucky, and I got to uh, um, do more stuff with the Travel Channel and travel more, and Really, I was uh, less a travel expert and more just someone who had never had the opportunity to travel. So I tried to bring that discovery and that wonderment and everything that I do. This isn't something that I just expect to happen. I don't have all the answers when it comes to travel, but I do love to show how emotionally it affects you, how travel makes you feel. And then people can take that show and go to all the uh, tools they have on the websites and all the travel experts that are at hand and find out how to do what I do and make it possible. But really, my role uh, in the travel industry is just to inspire people to travel, just to get out there, because obviously it's such an important thing for us to do. Absolutely. And what you do on your specials that we'll talk about in a little bit really serves to do that uh, in in so many different ways. But tell us about uh, your first Walt Disney World special that you did for the Travel Channel. What what show was that? I believe it was um, way back when uh, for Great Hotels. 
and I think the very first hotel we did was the Grand Floridian. And um, and that was actually the very first time I had ever been to Walt Disney World. Um, as I said in the show, my father said we didn't deserve to go to Disney World as kids <laughs> because we were rotten. <laughs> so, so we never went. <laughs> um, so my first time going there when I was, was when I was about 32. Now, I have gone to Disneyland. I went to Disneyland when I was 10. And that was a magical experience. And I got the chance to do that just this past um, uh, January to go back. And uh, it, we really have such nostalgia for uh, for everything they give. And, and one thing that I always say, what's magical about Disney World, the experience, is that every square inch of it is incredible. It's not just about going to the rides and the attractions and the shows. Just sitting on a park bench is wonderful. You just look around you and you're surrounded by the magic of Disney. So uh, that's um, certainly what I experienced the very first time I showed up at Walt Disney World way back when. I think it was like 2000, year 2000. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you next, was was what was that first experience like, not only because it was your first special Walt Disney World, but now because it was your first visit there, what was maybe your, your favorite part of that experience, or, or some of the surprising things that you discovered uh, that first time hmm. you went? Um, just how how large it is, uh, just that it is a world. Um, uh, you know, to, to go in that infrastructure and see the buses and then go by past the theme parks, theme park after theme park, and all the opportunities you have to have this incredible time. And then there's downtown Disney, and and uh, you just, I, I just never realized it. I mean, you hear of Walt Disney World, but I think when you show up, you just realize how uh, overwhelmingly wonderful it is. And I always say it's, it's overwhelming in a good sense because I think most people who, I, I get a lot of people calling me, uh, my friends, uh, friends of friends saying, listen, we're planning our first trip to Disney. My gosh, where do we start? I said, you know, because they're so overwhelmed. I said, you know, it is an overwhelming experience, but it doesn't have to be because simply there's so much to do. There's too much to do. And in my experience traveling, when there's too much to do, that's, you know, it's impossible to do it all then you shouldn't think you have to do it all and just stick to what you really want to do. You know, sit the family down and say, hey, you know, what are your expectations? What attractions do you absolutely have to go on? What character do you absolutely have to see? And then with all the information they have on their incredible website, you can easily map it out and plan it. And, uh, and like I said, it's not just about getting to the attractions and the rides. It's just sitting there and just watching the world of Disney surround you. You know, I love the fact that you're just sitting there and all of a sudden Mickey Mouse comes by and waves at you and Cinderella happens to go by and, and a band strikes up and, uh, and a parade goes by that just takes in all the family members and it's just for the, you know, the family day parade. And uh, just everything is, um, it's just so well planned. And I will say having spent three years traveling in uh, the, world's, uh, the world's best hotels and understanding what really amazing service is, uh, the, the cast members at Disney cannot be beat. They are an exceptional crew of people. Um, you know, they are, they are dealing with thousands upon thousands of people every day, and they keep that smile on. And I know them personally, even when they go behind the stage, they love Disney, they love their job, they love what they do and the magic they bring to people. And it's just uh, uh, the, the staff, the crew members, I'm sorry, the cast members are just the best in the world, I have found. I agree, and I've and I've said for years that above and beyond the fact that, like you said, Walt Disney World really is a fully functioning city. I mean, in size and mm. in scope, it really is the cast members that separates Walt mm. Disney World from any place else in the world. Notwithstanding, of course, theme parks, but even other destinations, because you know you're going to get that exceptional level of service twenty four seven with everyone that you meet. 
absolutely. It doesn't matter if you're staying in one of their five-star resorts or one of their, you know, value-added resorts. If you're at Disney, you are treated like a VIP. Absolutely. Now, before the first time that that you went to Disney and you you find out you're going to do a special on Walt Disney World, did you do any research on your own? Did you do any sort of preparation before you went out to, to start shooting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And everything that I do, I do probably too much research. Um, uh, you know, whether I'm going to Europe or I'm going to China or I'm going to Walt Disney World, because I just like to know ahead of time what to expect. Because basically, when you see me talk, I'm just coming up with that. That stuff, that stuff that I write for myself. And uh, I call it writing, uh, even though it's more sort of improvisational. Hey, you've got five minutes, you're going to talk about this. Just so I, I, uh, I can give information as well as entertainment, because usually when you're, when you're hosting a show, it's just on your shoulders to keep the ball going and keep the action going. And I don't want the show just to be about me reacting to, wow, Disney's wonderful. We all know it's wonderful, but why is it wonderful? So I will actively research things of finding out just exactly why this ride is cool and, and how long it's been here and, and, you know, get on the blogs and see what people are talking about it to see what other attitudes are about it and that I might not have as, you know, as a single woman, um, you know, mothers are extremely powerful in their, in their great advice. And so I always try to get a comprehensive view of whatever I do so I can speak about it with some uh, authority. Well, you know, you, you made reference to something because one of the most, I think the the really most appealing part of your show is the humor that you insert into each of them because you're not only mm-hmm. vibrant and energetic and but you're you're very very funny and the fact that you're genuinely having fun while taping comes through and adds so much to the program and that's what my next question was going to be how much of it is actually scripted how much is it just you enjoying the experience I think well, a lot of it is just me enjoying the experience. Uh, what I will get is a sort of a breakdown of, you know, we have scenes. So I know, you know, for Monday, we are going to start with Space Mountain. Then I'm going to have an interaction with Pluto. Then I'm going to go get a funnel cake. So it's a very tough schedule, as you can see. Um, so, then, uh, so I will have the breakdown of everything. Like a great thing we, um, we featured this time is just all the wonderful, healthy eating choices Disney is now offering. It's like, it's just, it's beyond the fry later. These wonderful kiosks full of fruit and vegetables and, uh, and restaurants now that uh, are offering a grilled salmon salad for lunches. And so, you know, it's great. You get to talk to the chefs that are behind this. I get, you know, access to the Imagineers that plan this. And you just want to bring it all together so that when people watch me, they're not just being entertained, but they're being informed. And because of that, that's why I do do the writing instead of it being just off the top of my head, because to speak concisely, to speak intelligently, you know, you need some forethought. And then, of course, I always want to put the humor into it, because, again, this is television. You want people to have a good time. You don't want people to feel like they're getting a lecture on Disney because they just want to enjoy it through you. So it's just an uh, an amalgam of a lot of things happening just so I can go on camera and speak. It's, there is a lot of preparation just to sort of now let it go and have fun. Well, again, I think so much of the appeal is that when you watch as a fan, you feel as though you're watching a friend. You know, we, like we know Samantha Brown and she's fun and she's perky and she's taking us all around and we share in the excitement that obviously, like I said, really it's palpable and comes through on the show. 
Well, thank you very much. I mean, it's an easy job when you're at Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in Prague and it's pouring down rain and it's freezing, it's a little tougher. But <laughs> well, <laughs> and, so and, and speaking of your job being as, as difficult as it sounds, from, from the Great Hotels series of programs, you had an opportunity to profile some of Walt Disney World's bests, including the Grand mm. Floridian, Animal Kingdom Lodge, Wilderness Lodge, and the Yacht and Beach Clubs. Of all those, what do you think your personal favorite is and why? Oh, I just, you know, I'm st- my heart is still stuck with Animal Kingdom Lodge and just got to go back again. Oh, I didn't stay there this time, but um, I-, I love it because the experience that it gives is incredible. Uh, just that, uh, you know, going out on your balcony and seeing the, the sa- savannah with the giraffes and the zebras. And it's almost like it's just as mesmerizing as watching a huge aquarium where you just see sharks go by and turtles and you see them move and, and you will just be sitting there transfixed watching these exotic animals right, you know, 15 feet in front of you uh, from the comfort of your own room. Also, I think what really uh, seals that experience for me is that most of the people work there who work there are actually from African countries and they will have them on their name tag and so you can ask them anything and they want you to ask. Uh, so you, I talked to someone from Swaziland and I talked to someone from Chad and, and it's just, it's such an enriching experience because I think for some, for most of us, I mean, the thought of going to Africa is pretty, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult trip to get to. It's an incredible trip. It's an expensive trip. It's a li- trip of a lifetime. And this just gives you a taste, and it's, you know, much closer. You don't need a passport. But I think what they do there is so special. Absolutely. It, it's truly the, – the lodge itself is, as I make reference to the – it's, it's, it's a hidden treasure, and you can spend an afternoon just browsing the lodge and the lobby and talking to the cast members and learning about all the cultural significance of everything that you see in there. Absolutely. I think it's really important to say that you don't just have to be a guest there to enjoy it. I mean, people are encouraged to go to these resorts. And I would say, if you can't afford the hotel, then just take it on a date. You know, go there for the afternoon, uh, have a drink or go to their restaurant. They've got a great um, uh, restaurant there as well as a buffet setting, uh, which which has incredible food. You can sit there and watch the savannah. The best times to go there are in the afternoon or in the early morning when the animals are out. Um and uh, so anyone can really enjoy it. It's not just for their guests. Absolutely. Now, in addition to the Great Hotel series, most recently the Travel Channel aired Disney Holiday, Holiday Magic with Samantha Brown. Now, this is your second special about the holidays at Walt Disney World, right? The first was Walt Disney World Holidays hosted by, of course, Samantha Brown. Yeah, yeah, our second one, right. Now, having visited Walt Disney World during the holiday season and done the two specials, how do you feel it compares to going during other times of the year? I think, you know, if there is something really, really wonderful about being there, it's just all of a sudden things are, if it can get even more exciting, if it can get even more magical, it does. And um, because, you know, your heart is filled, you know, your heart's full because of, of the holiday season. We're all a little kinder and gentler during that time. And uh, and so it's hard not just, to, I think I even said the show, you just get the warm fuzzies. It's just, it's a great time to be there. And I know for a lot of people, um, that watched the show, they didn't realize that Disney did all that different, I mean, all that wonderful, um, had so many wonderful offerings for the holidays and really saw that as a great time to go as well. So uh, it was a great special in that it really informed people of just the extra uh, extra things Disney goes uh, does to, to make those holidays really special. Yeah, I think it's a completely different experience than if you go during other times of the years because of all the added things that Disney kind of puts on top and, and really pluses the mm. experience for everybody. Uh, 
And now during these shows, and, and including the, the holiday special, you've had a chance to meet some of the exceptional people that help create this this Disney magic, like Imagineers, oh, like yeah. such as D- Joe Rohde, and you get to ride, ex- you know, his attraction, Expedition Everest Rhythm. What tell us about I those know. experiences? <laughs> Yeah, when I met him, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are a rock star. I mean, the people that are like, you got to ride with Joe Rohde, and he is this, you know, when we do those segments, people should know we can't do them when the park is open, so we've arrived at like, you know, 5.36 a.m. <laughs> You're basically like just waking up, and, and what a great way to start the day, right? You know, Expedition Everest with Joe Rohde, and he has this personality that, my gosh, he could just... What that man knows and what he experiences and how he puts those experiences to paper and then to model and then to the actual attraction so that people actually experience what goes on in his mind is, is wonderful. And, um, and it was such a pleasure to show him, to give the Imagineers the credit that they're really due. And I mean, people are fascinated by the Imagineers. They have this, I mean, they probably have the greatest job in the world. Actually, I mean, we had a conversation about this because he's like, you have the greatest job in the world. I'm like, no, you have the greatest <laughs> job in the world. So, uh, but uh, he's just a fascinating man. And, uh, you know, obviously has done a lot for uh, Walt Disney World because Animal, he, I believe he's the, the mind behind Animal Kingdom itself, and it's a beautiful park, exceptionally beautiful park. I agree. I mean, his creative energy and creative, and what he brings to the company, what he's brought to us for the guest experience, is is really something special. I think kind of carries on that legacy that Walt Disney started so many years yeah. ago. But you yeah. know, as we're talking here, you sound like really that you're a fan as well. As you know, this is just another destination to go to. If if, it's, if so, what's your your favorite part of Walt Disney World? We know about your favorite resort. What about attractions and and maybe restaurants? Um, I love, uh, I mean, I think Soren is amazing. Just It's like a ride you want to live in. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I wish, like, you know, someday you know, a sharper image will have this technology, you know, in a, in a lazy boy chair. <laughs> Just to see, to you know, if, if, I'm sure most of your listeners know what Soren is, but it's that in-flight simulator where you feel like you're flying, parasailing over California, and, and you're in an IMAX theater, so you're engulfed in this incredible um, scenery that you're seeing on a movie screen, but... Meanwhile, they're pumping in um, beautiful scents like, you know, um, evergreen trees and, and, and citrus. And and uh, so you're really feeling all your senses are really in tune with this ride. And it just makes you feel great at the end of it. I mean, just, you know, you feel like life is good. So that's one of my favorites. Um, we, uh, for, for restaurants... Um, Gosh, we actually featured uh, back in Disneyland, which is Napa Rose, for those who uh, love the, the California parks. Napa Rose is this incredible uh, restaurant, uh, a wonderful wine selection. Uh, Andrew Jackson is the chef there. Uh, uh, Michael Jordan is the, the wine sommelier. And, and they just uh, give you this really amazing experience, but always in a really laid-back um, setting, you know, it's California, but you're having this, you, you know, you're having this meal that in two years now is, is going to be across the United States, but you're, you're eating it before it's a trend because what they do is so innovative and so fresh. And so that's definitely my, my favorite eating experience is Napa Rose, which is located in the, the Grand Californian Resort. Again, going back to you having the best job in the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I get to, yeah, I get to eat. I get to talk with the people. Everything. Yeah. But now, obviously, in in addition to your work uh, on the Travel Channel, on the Disney Resorts, you also currently host uh, two series, which is Passport to Europe with Samantha Brown and Passport to Latin America with 
Samantha Brown. Obviously, <laughs> very different experiences going overseas and going to some of these destinations yeah. and visiting a resort like Walt Disney World. Can you tell us a little bit about these shows and maybe how creating one of these for each of these individual cities sort of compares to doing a special on a place like Disney World? Uh, well, it's much easier to do uh, in terms of just shooting purposes. It's a lot easier to uh, to shoot in Walt Disney World because, well, one, we have to have everyone's cooperation, and we have to be cooperative with them. And so it's, and we've been working with the same people now for probably eight years, um, maybe a little less than that. Uh, so we all know each other. We know how we work. We trust each other. And when you have that, it, things just happen, and uh, and that's what you need to have happen um, is things to move. You know, Europe and Latin America very different because you're on people's different ideas of work ethics and and what's important. And well, no, now I need my espresso, and so the entire thing <laughs> shuts down because people need a two-hour lunch. And okay, <laughs> right? And um, but uh, but certainly. Uh, you know, just uh, traveling to uh, to Europe and Latin America has been the highlight uh, of my life. You just to meet people from around the world and to understand their culture and to be a part of their everyday life is just extraordinary. And, uh, you know, it's just changed me in many different ways. Yeah. And the one thing just from a production point of view is it's fascinating to me how you're able to condense and so well what could oh, obviously be hours and hours of material showcasing these destinations into such a short period of time. I mean, the specials are, are, are you know, a half hour each, but we really get yeah. a sense of the culture and the country and the people and, and everything else. Well, thank you. And then that's, you know, that's, that's not me. That's obviously the editors and the, the cameraman and then the producers and just the, the background work that needs to take place to create a travel show is, is would just would be like an avalanche of work for most of us. It's unbelievable what they can put together and what they do. Um, uh, just to, so for those for like European shows and for the Latin America shows, I know our cameraman would shoot probably seven to eight hours of tape, and we we only use half hour of it. So it's just to condense all that down to what is uh, what you know the editor and the director feel is most important is just an art in itself, and uh, they do an amazing job and. I'm glad I don't have that job. I'm glad I'm in front of the camera. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the aspects of the show I really enjoy most is that, you know, on one show you can be visiting a huge city like Rio de Janeiro, and then you can also be visiting some of the smaller villages where you get to meet some of the locals. What do you think your favorite city is that you've had a chance to visit by doing all these? You know, my absolute favorite city, I'll say in Europe, my very favorite city is Berlin. Uh, it's a fascinating city. Um and then for Latin America, my favorite city was Granada, Nicaragua. And both are, you know, are, are vastly different, but similar in the fact that what I liked most about them was they completely um, surprised me. Um, I was expecting one thing and got something completely different. Uh, Granada, for instance, just pulling in there and just, you know, walking around and just people would look at me and wave and say hello like I had been there my entire life. And I really felt so included and people were so warm um, that it completely changed the experience. And I always say, you know, the difference between traveling to Europe and traveling to Latin America is when we go to Europe, we're more interested in the history and its past and the pomp and circumstance. And so we visit its monuments and its attractions to, to understand its past. Um, Latin America doesn't have the infrastructure that Europe does, so you spend more time in the present, in the moment. You get to know the culture more as it is today, and therefore the experience can be 
uh, more deeply personal and intimate than a European experience. Uh, and I'm talking about your first time going. Obviously, I've been to Europe many times, and every time I go back, it becomes more personal. It becomes more familiar. Uh, but the first time was always, oh, my gosh, look at that. That's the Roman Colosseum. Oh, my gosh, that's the Forum. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're talking about things that happened 2,000 years ago. In Latin America, you're, you're really just being absorbed in what's happening now. And what's really important is that the people of Latin America – uh, go out of their way to make sure you see their country in a way that it should be seen, which is just do authentic eyes. So it's um, that Latin America. I've got to visit about 12 countries of um, uh, North America, Central and South, and just uh, very different, uh, very different travel experiences. America, Latin America, and uh, Europe, and each one extremely valuable. I can only imagine what what you've been able to experience. But in addition to obviously, we talked about some of the, the Walt Disney World hotels you visited and, and the being some of the best of the best on property. There, there's countless other ones, obviously, that you've been able to visit from high end resorts to some of the smaller boutique hotels. Which stands out maybe as your personal favorite worldwide? Worldwide, okay. Um... You know, it's interesting. I get this question all the time. It never gets easy. I just, you know, it's I, you, you like them. I, you know, I will say for my honeymoon, I, I went back to a great hotel that we did. So that makes it pretty important and pretty special to me. And then we went back to a place called uh, Sunset Key Guest Cottages. That's actually a little island uh, right off of Key West. A uh, little private island, beautiful resort of just uh, Caribbean-style homes with a front porch uh, or a veranda, I guess they say, south of the Mason-Dixon line, and, uh, you know, rocking chairs. And every morning they deliver a picnic basket filled with fresh-baked breads and muffins and fresh-squeezed orange juice. And it was just wonderful. Um, and I only had uh, probably four days. Or my husband and I only had four days because of my travel schedule, and it was just exactly what we needed. So I would say that, that Sunset Key Guest Cottages is, is pretty near and dear to my heart because it's where I chose to go like on my most important vacation ever. Is it, one, is it those little special touches that maybe distinguish that and some of these other hotels from, from some of the other ones that kind of set it apart as your favorite? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the, you know I stay in a lot of big resorts, and uh, and I just I, I enjoy the, the smaller, more personal um, experience and it's not because of what the big resorts didn't do. It's just a, it's just a personal uh, choice. I just like the uh, um, I just like the the intimacy of it because in both small and large resorts the service is outstanding. I mean they're gonna if it's a large resort and they're a five star they're gonna make sure you feel like you're special. So it does, has nothing to do with like not a lack of service. It's just uh, the actual surroundings themselves. Now, you, you talked about your, your travel schedule. How much time do you think a year do you spend actually traveling and how much time you get to spend maybe back at home? I travel about uh, 220 days out of the year, 30 weeks out of the year, so pretty extensive travel. And um, that works out to be 10 months out of the year I'm traveling, three weeks out of the month, so I'm home only a week every month. Um, so like right now, my cat's very upset because she sees my luggage <laughs> and she knows what that means. Um, so, well, there'll be some cat behavior problems I'll have to deal with when I come back. Um, and, uh, my, my husband will definitely join me sometimes, uh, if the trips are really, in, um, special. He joined me in China when I was there for a month. He joined me for 10 days. And now the series we're doing this year, which is called Great Weekends, uh, is mainly right here in North America. Uh, and so that'll be much easier for, um, my husband to join me and uh, so we can see each other more than once just uh, one week out of the month. Now, obviously, as such a frequent traveler, what's maybe the one important tip that, that you could offer to others? For As a frequent tra- traveler? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, gosh. One important tip. I'm putting on the spot, I know. I know. How about, uh, it's my my most important tip when I travel on a plane, is that uh, I bring my own lunch. I bring my own food everywhere, actually, whenever I travel, um, but especially when I'm about to go on a plane. One, if there are delays, you can eat, and you don't have to wait. Uh, once you get on that plane, I found you always waiting for the, the cart to come and you were starving. And then once the cart comes and puts down the tray, now you can't move until they come around again in 45 minutes to remove the tray. And you have to use the ladies' room so badly. <laughs> and so I find that just, you know, having your own food, especially if you have kids, you eat. Yeah, and then you can get to the bathroom line before anybody else does. So uh, bringing your own food is very important, especially now since a lot of times if you're flying under four hours, you're not getting food. So it's really important just to pack uh you know, just something. And I always travel with a jar of peanut butter everywhere I go, always. So <laughs> that's another travel tip. All right, great. All right, so so what's next for Samantha Brown? We obviously have the Passport series, but do you have any other specials coming up? What about any maybe shows about Walt Disney World or Disneyland? I do. We have, well, so we have the, the um, holiday one, actually, I know, obviously, in December, and we just finished shooting uh, Samantha Brown's Disney Favorites. Uh, so it's very, um, a good conversation we had today, very topical. And that will air uh, sometime the first week of April. And Travel Channel is doing an entire week of, of, of Disney programming, I believe. So my show will air sometime, I think, like April 5th or 6th. Look for it. And it's an hour show. And it is just about my, my favorite rides and attractions and shows, both in Disneyland and Disney World, but also uh, the invaluable tips that I've learned from all my time being there, just, you know, how to, you know, how to negotiate Disney, you know, when to take breaks, when to use the fast pass, when not to, when to use the single line, when not to, uh, where, where's the best place to see the characters, because character interaction is just huge at Disney. And I think people don't understand when you, when you show up, the lines to get, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse's autographs is, is just as long as the line for Space Mountain sometimes while well, I'm exaggerating. But, you know, so it's just a way to, you know, cut down on the lines and have the best time you possibly can, which that's what it's all about. Well, Disney fans are rejoicing with the announcement that you're going to be doing another <laughs> special, I can assure you. And, and, I, and I promise you it's going to be very, very popular. And like I said, Samantha, at the beginning, you have a job that I think most people consider to be the greatest in the world. And in, mm-hmm. in addition to getting so many of us excited about the prospect of visiting exotic destinations across the globe, on behalf of Disney fans worldwide, I want to say thank you for continuing to bring that magic to us through your work. Well, thank you, Lou. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too. We're going to continue to set our TiVos for your upcoming Walt Disney World specials. We're also going to look forward to your upcoming episodes of Passport to Europe and Passport to Latin America on the Travel Channel. Again, Samantha, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today and for everything you do. Take care. Bye-bye. Over the past few months, I've been alluding to another Walt Disney World-related project that I've been working on, as many of you have been emailing me and asking me what's next. Well, in addition to the next CD in my audio guide to Walt Disney World series, which I can tell you now is going to be Adventureland, I've also been working for some time now on a new project that I wanted to announce on this week's show. Much like how the trivia books were born partially out of my own desire as a fan to have something like that, I've always been looking for a way to get a bit of the Disney magic when I'm home or at work each and every day. So that's where the idea for the next project came to be, and that is 
a 2009 page-a-day calendar, which is going to be filled with Walt Disney World secrets, fun facts, and fascinating history, along with quizzes, puzzles, and games. It's going to be not only a way to help Disney fans learn something new, but it's also going to be fun for any trivia lover who also enjoys Disney and is a great way to count down the days till that next trip to Walt Disney World. You can keep it on your desk or on your wall at home or at work for that little daily bit of Disney magic. The calendar is going to be available at DisneyWorldTrivia.com as well as in bookstores and online retailers like Amazon.com and should be released in the next couple of months. Of course, I'll let you know when it's going to be available for sale or pre-order from DisneyWorldTrivia.com as soon as I get a definite date from my publisher. I'm going to put an image of the box cover as well as a sample page over at WDWRadio.com in this week's show notes for you to check out. This project was a long time in the making, but it's something I'm really excited about and I hope you are as well. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to say thanks to all of you again for tuning in each and every week over the past year and even earlier. This show is a very important part of my life, and thanks to your support, I've really enjoyed each and every minute of it, and I hope you have as well. I also want to say thank you to everybody who sent in news, rumors, and reviews this week, including Pat and Minnie. Of course, I have to thank the Travel Channel and Samantha Brown, who took time out of what is an incredibly hectic travel schedule to speak with me earlier this week. I really appreciate her taking the time to give us a little peek inside what goes into creating some of these fantastic specials that we continue to enjoy every time they air. Be sure to visit our show notes page at WDWRadio.com for links to the Travel Channel website where you can learn more about Samantha Brown, her series and specials, as well as get a show schedule to see what Samantha has coming out next. As I said from the very first show, this podcast is for you and it can be as interactive as you like. So if you have an idea, a comment, a question, or something that you would like to see covered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. You can also discuss the show and anything Disney over at the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. Remember to also visit the show notes page at wdwradio.com for links to some recommended sites and friend of the show including OrlandoFunTickets.com, where you can get the best prices on official and authorized Disney tickets, and OwnersLocker.com, where you can learn more and sign up for the free trial offer. Get your own personal secure storage locker delivered to and from your resort. And if you're looking for that special souvenir direct from one of Disney's theme parks, visit the show notes page for a link to the Laughing Place store, where they carry a full line of Walt Disney World and Disneyland theme park merchandise that they'll ship direct to you. Also, be sure to check out another friend of the show, Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge podcast, as this week he takes a special musical trip down Main Street USA, takes in some sets from the Main Street Straw Hatters, the Dapper Dan's Main Street Piano Player, and Toontown Tuners. You can visit him over at mouselounge.com. And speaking of Main Street USA, just a quick reminder that the first in my audio guides to Walt Disney World series is out and available at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Look for the next in the series coming soon, as well as a downloadable version, which will be available when I launch an all-new DisneyWorldTrivia.com site in the next couple of weeks. There you can look for expanded trivia, new columns, my blog, and so much more. And speaking of that, as I get ready to launch the site, I am still looking for old photos from Walt Disney World from the 70s through the 90s. If you have any that you want to share of shows, shops, attractions, anything at all, 
please send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com. And finally, if you like the show, please continue to review us in iTunes. And more importantly, please help spread the word and let others know about it. Thanks again to Samantha Brown and to you for tuning in again this week. Have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's Dave. And Kathy Roshoni. From Niagara Falls. And we just wanted to wish you a very happy one-year anniversary for the WDW Radio Show. We can't thank you enough for all the hard work you put into the show week after week. Thanks for all the great information, interviews, and other segments like the DSI segments with Jeff Pepper. Hey, Kath, did you know that Jeff does logos? Really? Yes, I hear he's quite good. Anyways, here's looking forward to another year of award-winning shows. Thanks Thanks again, Lou. Happy anniversary. A happy anniversary to you, to who? To Lou. Oh, Lou. A happy anniversary to Lou. Yes, Lou. It's been a year of radio shows. We had to say, way to go. Happy anniversary to Lou. Hi, Lou. This is Christina, Cheeky Chrissy from the forums, and Kathleen, my want the popo. And we're here waiting for our reservation at Le Cellier. We came here for you after hearing all about it on your show. We're so excited. We wanted to tell you we went on Spaceship Earth and we thought it was awesome. And I guess it's no longer, I guess it's officially open now. And then we had a question for you. We wanted to know when on um, the land boat ride they took away the hostess feeling. We noticed that there was nobody driving the boat and it was just the audio track. So thank you for all your fun shows. We enjoyed them. We've been listening to them in our room and getting the Disney magic. Have a great day. Hey, Lou, this is Jason. I'm a native here, well, a newly native here, at least of a year, uh, here in the Orlando area. Uh, I ventured over to the Disney's Hollywood Studios to look for something I'd heard. Not sure whether it was on your podcast or another one. Uh, but I knew you'd be interested into it, in it if you hadn't already seen it. There are five of the nine old men who have put their fingerprints, signatures, and pencil prints into some cement over by the animation area. If you go through the queue, and just when you enter and you're about to enter into the theater, if you veer off to the right, there's a circle courtyard. And it is quite interesting to see, uh, I believe it's Frank and Ollie, uh, Ward Kimball, Mark Davis, and O'Connor all have their signatures there in the cement. And I believe it was Mark Davis that did a little drawing of Mickey Mouse. It's very fun to try to find, and I recommend any listener to go look for it because it is quite special. Have a good day. Enjoy listening to your show. Bye now. Hi, Lou. This is Chip Joyce. I was calling to confirm a question uh, that you and Jeff Pepper and a listener posed on your recent show uh, regarding a character of Ludwig von Drake, if he's ever been seen in the parks. And I've been home sick from work this week and was feeling sort of uh, missing Disney. So I decided to pop in, of all things, a tape of my girlfriend's that was at Disney World at the age of three. This tape is circa summer 1986, and the footage was of the Mickey Street Party Parade in the Magic Kingdom, and I could not believe that on the back of one of the floats I saw Scrooge McDuck and the backside of 
who had to be Ludwig von Drake. Couldn't have been any other character. And unfortunately, the tape cut out before I got a front view. But I can at least say that, yes, Ludwig von Drake has at least at some point been a character in the parks. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this tidbit. I always enjoy listening and will continue to do so. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.